Uh, thank you for doing what you do. We truly, truly appreciate it. We have a very special gift for you. Ernie's going to be manning a table at, at the end of our service today, and we'd love to, to send you with a special gift. Grab your bulletins real quickly. want to make you aware of some events that are unfolding in the life of our church. The, the first thing I really want to highlight is two weeks from this coming Saturday, three weeks from yesterday, right here at First Christian Church, we are hosting the Beth Moore Simulcast. And due to the generosity of a Christian man in our community, there is no cost for that. If you went to another church that had the simulcast, you'd probably pay 20 to $25 to be able to experience Beth Moore live uh, via simulcast, and you can do it for free. You do need to sign up. There'll be a table in the foyer, and you need to sign up. We would love to see this place packed on Saturday, September 15th. Um, lunch is on your own that day, but our college students are doing a lunch for a very nominal cost in order to raise money to go to Passion this year, their, their college conference in Atlanta, Georgia, that's at the end of the year. And if you would like to participate in that, you'd need to sign up as well, and you can do that at the table as well. Don't forget the Families at First is exactly one month from today. Today's August 26. Families at First returns on September 26, Wednesday night with our second annual FCC's Got Talent evening. And then five weeks from today, September 30, is one of our three one-service Sundays, three times a year. We do nothing at 8.15. We do nothing at 11 on Sunday morning. We have a single service at 9.30 a.m. That'll be a really special day because Carson Cheatham is being ordained into the Christian ministry on that day. Carson is going to be a part of a church plant team in the state of Rhode Island. It is just really exciting to hear from Carson and Angie all that God's doing in their life and in the lives of many Christians in the Rhode Island area. We'd love to have you be with us 9.30 a.m. on September 30. Well, we are plowing ahead. We, we have been looking at Elijah, and if you're a visitor, that may not mean a lot to you. I'm going to try to catch you up in just a moment, but all, all year at FCC in 2012, we've tried to take just one-month looks at some of the great Bible heroes of the faith, or the month of May, we looked at women of the faith. And this month, we're looking at Elijah, the prophet Elijah. On August 5th, Adam preached for us, and he really showed us a prophet in training. He showed us what it looks like to be in a season of training and how uh, Elijah went through a, a season of pain and dependence and obedience. And then two weeks ago, we looked at how Elijah finally decided enough is enough and, and that something must be done about the evil in the land. It hadn't rained for three years. How many of you appreciated the rain this morning? That was a blessing to see the rain coming down. Can you imagine going three years without rain? Elijah finally stood up to the 450 prophets of Baal. And his message was really simple. you got to quit wavering. In or out. For God, against God. Can't have it both ways. Can't have one foot with the Lord and one foot with the world. Or one foot with an idol or one, one foot with a false god. And that, that's a great message for us in 2012. Because too many people, that's how we're trying to live our lives. One foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. And you can't go down that road. False gods cannot deliver. That was the message of Elijah that day. 1 Kings chapter 18. And after the Lord had done what seemed to be impossible, he brought down fire in the midst of water-soaked wood and meat to be sacrificed. The people realized how wrong they had been. And their cry was really simple. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, 
he is God. Last week we looked at a discouraged prophet on the heels of maybe the greatest victory in the last hundred years in the life of God's people. The prophet Elijah became very, very discouraged. And let's face it, we all go through times of discouragement. And we offered some encouragement from the word of the Lord to Elijah that hopefully plays out in all of our lives. We've got to take care of ourselves physically. We've got to stop believing the lies that the world throws at us. Sometimes we need to just be quiet. Just shut out all the garbage of the world and just listen to the Lord. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And then the message for some of us was the message that the Lord had for Elijah. Okay, you've had your season of discouragement. You've had your season of disappointment. Let's go. Let's get busy. I've got work for you to do. And that brings us to this morning's text. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have pew Bibles. It's somewhere in the 352, 353 page range in your pew Bibles. But we're going to spend a lot of time this morning reading God's Word. 29 verses of Scripture. Don't be afraid. I'm going to do it very quickly. But as we do that, the big thing that we're going to look at today is how do we deal with evil? What's happening with evil in the world? And so, I want to just ask you a question this morning. What is evil? I want you to think about that for just a moment. You've got a little blank on your outline. If you're an outline kind of person, just jot down some notes. What is evil? There's a lot of talk about evil in our world today. When tragedies strike, we hear a lot of talk about evil. But I think, unfortunately, many times our idea of evil is enormously huge evil. And we don't realize that evil might even be an issue in our lives. We might be dealing with evil and we don't even realize it. So let me put a a, a definition up on the screen right now. Mike, go ahead and put that up. Evil is uh, commonly associated with conscious or deliberate wrongdoing Discrimination designed to harm others, humiliation of people designed to diminish their psychological well-being and dignity, destructiveness, motives of causing pain or suffering for selfish or malicious intentions, and acts of unnecessary or indiscriminate violence. Have you read the newspaper lately? Have you turned on your television lately? Have you just looked around? Let's be honest this morning. Unfortunately, evil is more prevalent than we want to admit. Evil is a bigger deal in 2012 in America, the land of the free, than we want to admit. So what can we learn this morning? What I want to do is look at really one of the final accounts of the prophet Elijah. A very, very evil incident in what Elijah the prophet did through the Lord. And I've got two big ideas that I want to leave with you. And big idea number one is this. When God's law is ignored, the powerful corrupt the system to further their own interests. When God's law is ignored, the powerful will corrupt the system to further their interests. So let's read God's word together. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of 1 Kings 21. Listen to the word of the Lord. It says, sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Now, I didn't go through this, but Ahab was the most evil king Israel had ever had to deal with. 
Ahab and his lovely wife Jezebel were as bad as it gets. And you're, you're going to actually hear that in God's word a little bit later. So that's a little bit about Ahab, the person that's ruling Israel during this time. Verse 2. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying this isn't just a piece of land. This isn't just a mere property that I could exchange. This is my legacy. This has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And some of us, we connect with that. Whether it's land or some possession, it may not be worth a lot in terms of monetary value in 2012, but it means a lot to us on the sentimental scale. And that's what's playing out here. Verse 4, so Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat. Now his wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel's wife said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed a seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And in those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him, and have them testify that he has cursed both God and king, i.e. make up some lies about this guy. We're going to disparage his character. We're going to make him look really bad. Then take him out, and no, you're not misreading your Bible. Take him out and stone him to death. This, my friends, is evil, diabolical, awful, terrible. Verse 11. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she'd written to them. They proclaimed a fast. They seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. And then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. And so they took him outside the city and they stoned him to death. And then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up! Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell to you. He's no longer alive, but dead. And when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and he went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. This evil action in 1 Kings chapter 21 shows us four things about evil. And, and they connect in 8th century B.C., they connect in 2012. Number one is this, evil doesn't take into consideration others. Just doesn't consider what others might think, how others might be hurt. There's no worry about collateral damage. Evil's very me-focused. Secondly, evil is very self-focused. 
It's all about how does this impact me? Right here in our text today, there's no thought about what it will do to Naboth or to his legacy or to his life. The only thought is, I've got to get this vineyard. He won't sell it to me legally. He won't trade with me legally. So I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. Number three, evil violates common sense morality. Now, as you were reading this, how many of you said, that sounds like a really good plan. I'm having a dispute with my neighbor. I think I'm going to go with the Jezebel plan. Did anybody say, don't raise your hand, by the way, even if you did think that. You'll be embarrassed if you do. Of course not. It's crazy. We read that, and, and we come up with the word evil. It's crazy. Who would ever behave in, in such a way? Who would ever behave in, in, in such a manner? And yet if we were to look at world history, say the last, say the last 100 years, and we won't do it, but put up on the screen the, the faces of evil, most of those people had quite a following. Most of those people had developed quite a, a flock, shall we say, in many ways. And the reason why is that evil eventually violates just common sense morality. And what seems to be evil no longer seems to be evil. It's just part of the plan. Number four, evil has no end in sight until the objective is achieved. And I could add as a footnote, the objective can be achieved by any and all means. There's no way to soft sell this. I mean, if you want to look at, at, at God's law, you want to look at the Ten Commandments, we're, we're violating several of the Ten Commandments in, in, in verses 1 through 16. The king of Israel, the wife of the king of Israel, violating commandments about not lying, Violate, violating commandments about... Uh, not, not taking a life unjustly, murdering, evil personified. Well, the big idea, number two, that I want to throw out to you today, and hopefully this really connects with you today, is this. Attempts to ignore God's law will fail. We, we can't escape. See, I think sometimes when we're in a season of life where we're living outside God's will for our life, we're making decisions and we're acting in a way that we know is contrary to how God wants us to live as followers of Christ. We begin to almost seduce ourselves. We kind of just close our eyes and just kind of pretend that, that everything's going to be okay. And I think that this text tells us, in the end, the Lord is in control. And we're going to see why in just a moment. You can run, but you can't hide. Let's continue reading God's word together, verses 17 to 29. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he's gone to take possession of it. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, 
dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Remember, the Bible's not always G-rated, okay? The Bible's not always PBS, okay? Unfortunately, verse 20. Ahab said to Elijah, you have found me, my enemy. There's been an ongoing battle between Ahab and between Elijah, between evil and between the Lord's instrument. I have found you, Elijah answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or thief. Free. This is the word of the Lord. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city. And the birds of the air will feed on those who die in the country. Verse 25, here's your note on Ahab. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. Verse 27, been quite a prophecy thrown down to Ahab and to Jezebel here. They're not just saying that you're not going to be king anymore. What are they saying? You're going to die, and the dogs are going to lick up your blood. I mean, that's pretty disgusting. That's a pretty uh, non-honorable way to die. Let's look at Ahab's response. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. What I want us to do this morning is, real quickly, look at how Elijah responded to this evil act. How would you respond? If you were the prophet of God, the prophet of the Lord... And and, and you could act however you wanted to act, however you felt the Lord was calling you to act. What would you do? Here's what Elijah does. Number one, Elijah doesn't adopt the it's not my problem attitude. He doesn't say, I'm living miles and miles away. Ahab, Jezebel, you do your thing. It's a bad break for Naboth, but it's not my problem. And I would say to my friends that are with us today that are educators... I'm so thankful that so many of you don't adopt the it's not my problem attitude. I'm so thankful that so many of you roll up your sleeves and you try to address the problems and the issues facing the children that that, that you're with, whether they're grade school children or junior high children or high school children or preschool children. This summer, our family went to the East Coast for vacation, and one day we went to Boston. I don't know if you've been to Boston, if you've walked the Freedom Trail or not. But on the Freedom Trail, there is a Holocaust monument. And I want to put this next slide up on the screen. This is a a picture of the granite monument. And it's the words of a a Lutheran pastor by the name of Martin Niemuller. Some of you may know his story. Niemuller was very influential in Christian circles when Hitler came into power in the early 1930s. 
And, and Niemuller's most famous quote really addresses this, it's not my problem issue. Here's what this reads. It says, they first came for the communists, but I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. And then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left to speak up. Friends, when we see evil, we cannot adopt the it's not my problem attitude. Number two, Elijah boldly speaks the truth. He doesn't soft sell the word from the Lord. He doesn't say, Ahab, Jezebel, come, come close. I want to really encourage you to, to reassess the state of your spiritual life because the Lord, he might be just slightly unpleased with the path that you're taking. He says, Ahab, Jezebel, Lord said you're going to die in an awful way and dogs are going to lick up your blood. Because that's what the Lord said. He boldly speaks the truth. Christ followers, are we willing to boldly speak the truth in 2012? When we see evil, are we willing to speak? Or have we bought the lie that faith has to be private? Have we bought the lie that we can't really take a stand? Because someone might be offended. Elijah boldly speaks the truth. Number three, Elijah doesn't overreach. That would have been my temptation, I think, if I was Elijah. I'd have been really good with the prophecy from the Lord. Guess what, Ahab? You're going to get yours. But I would have, would have wanted to add something to it. A grizzly bear's coming as well. Limb to limb, buddy. You're getting yours. And I think as Christ followers, we get in trouble when we overreach. I think as Christ followers, we get in trouble when we expect non-Christians to live like Christians. The reality, most Christians struggle to live like Christians. And so Elijah doesn't overreach. He doesn't go too far. And number four, this is huge, Elijah doesn't develop what, what I would call the Jonah syndrome. You know what the Jonah syndrome is? Remember Jonah, another prophet during this time, went to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the biggest, baddest army of the time, went in and said, in 120 days, it's all coming to an end because the Lord is going to wipe you all out. And they repented, and their king put on sackcloth, and all the people repented and got down in the dirt, and the graciousness of God began to act. And the Lord said, look at, look at this repentance. I'm not going to wipe these people out. Remember what Jonah did? Did Jonah say praise the Lord and, and, and write a best-selling book about revival in 8th century B.C.? What did he do? He said, well, forget you, Lord. You said you were going to kill them. And he went out in the desert and started to pout. He became a big spiritual baby. And if you're Elijah and you've had this ongoing battle with Ahab and Jezebel, and you've seen the evil, and the word of the Lord has come, and it's time for the evil ones to get what's coming to them, and the Lord says, they're going to get it. I'm just going to wait a while. That's probably not music to your ears. But we don't see any 
revolt by Elijah. We don't see any God, I'm not very happy with you statements. Elijah doesn't develop what we call Jonah syndrome. So what do we do with this? Real quickly this morning, I want to just give you four reflections. 2012 and Christ followers. Number one, we should not be surprised that there is evil in our world. You should be a deeply realistic person about the nature of life living in a fallen world. It all started in Genesis when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The downward spiral of sins been out of control ever since. So we shouldn't be surprised. But secondly, we must not be seduced. And let's be honest, sin is appealing. Sin is tantalizing. And if we're not careful, we could be seduced. If you went back to Germany, let's use that illustration from the Niemuller illustration earlier, to 1933 Munich, and you just pulled the people on the street that were so excited with the hope that Adolf Hitler was bringing. And you would have said, how do you feel about concentration camps? How do you, you, you feel about ethnic cleansing? Good idea, bad idea. If you would have done a push poll, shall we say, no one would have been in favor of that. That's crazy. That's ludicrous. They were seduced. And friends, we must not be seduced. Number three, we cannot be silenced. We're called, I believe, as Christ followers to represent the standards of the Lord and to serve as his spokespeople, his ambassadors, his mouthpiece. We shouldn't overreach, but we are called to be people who will take a stand, who will call a wrong wrong, who will stand up and be heard. And then finally, I believe we will not be stopped. I ended last week with 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let me read it one more time. We're called to stand firm. We're called to let nothing move us, to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Is there evil in the world? Absolutely. 8th century B.C., 2012. But never forget the words of John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and for the difference your son Jesus Christ makes. And in a world that's dark, help us to let our little lights shine, shine brightly for you. Help us to be salt. Help us to be light. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. It is decision time here at FCC, and if you're a visitor, we do this every week at First Christian. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, we invite you to come forward. Um, if you are a Christian, but you're not a part of this fellowship, and you want to know more about church membership, you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to seek one of the ministers at the end of the service. This is also a time where we offer the invitation to pray for you, um, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. If you would like someone to pray for you, Kent's up front, I'm up front. We'd be happy to pray for you as we stand together and Jim leads us in our song of commitment.
thank you for worshiping with us today especially thank you to the visitors that are with us today we do have a very special gift for all of our educators uh, we'd love to, to send you on your way with a first christian church coffee mug feel free to put that on your desk if you'd like to that'd be a great place to put that coffee mug do want to remind you that next week we will be having both services and it'll be a very special day as kent hickerson will be preaching on the 29th ministry anniversary of the hickerson's time here in clinton so i want all all of you to come and bring a friend with you next week to support Kent and Merla Hickerson. In fact, it's a week early. Let's give them a hand anyway.